Chapter Thirty of The Last of the Vikings by Johann Boyer, translated by Jesse Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty. How long they had been tossing about thus, they did not know. When they thought they heard a shout in the darkness, they shouted back and shrieked for help. And in the stormy yellow light that shone upon the foaming wave crests, they saw something, not a capsized boat, but a tiny sail, a boat coming toward them. They were saved. They cried again like men begging for their lives. The stormy light shone more strongly upon them, and in its yellow glow the boat flew past. It was Peter Susansa. He had meant to save them, and they could see him standing at the helm, only a few yards off. He shouted, but in such a sea his boat would be dashed to pieces against theirs, and the old man knew it, and could only leave them there and go on. But as he left his comrades to their fate, he turned his head and looked at them, and a cry escaped from his lips, a cry that was taken up by all his men, as if they were begging for forgiveness, because they could only save their own lives. Those on the upturned boat understood, and gave an answering cry of pain and anguish, and in another moment Peter Susansa and his boat had disappeared into the night. Christaver and his men still clung to their boat, as if hope were not entirely gone. Canelis was still unconscious, and Christaver held him as before, but would he be able to do so much longer? The others had two hands to hold on with when the waves dashed over them, but Christaver had only one, and Canelis was heavy. Leave go of him? No. But what if he let himself be washed away? Canelis, he called into the unconscious man's ear, try to wake up, try to hold on. I can't keep up any longer. But Canelis, who was such a strong lad and as elastic as an india-rubber ball, was now unconscious and unable to move a finger, and Christaver felt that it would soon be all over with himself too. Here came a gigantic wave, and he would not be able to hold on himself and hold Canelis up too. God forgive him if he had to leave go of the lad. The wave dashed over them, and Christaver bent before it, and when it had passed, he still sat holding Cornelis. He saw in fancy his father, the half-blind old man living in the little farm up on the mountain, and he still kept hold of the boy. They would have to be washed away together. The water beat noisily under the boat, which lay high because it was full of air. Christaver would have taken his knife and bored a hole in it to let the air out, but he had no hand to spare and was not equal to anything more. The same black masses of cloud were racing across the sky. The same gleams of stormy light broke from them over the sea, showing how high the spoon-drift flew. But was that not another shout? Yes! There was a sail again! It was coming toward them, making straight for them. They shouted aloud, and in the yellow light they recognized the sea-flower. She passed close by them. Jacob was at the helm, and he saw what Peter Susansa had seen, that it was impossible to heave to and help them, and as he flew on he was followed by a cry, a despairing cry. Was he, too, going to leave them? But that was not Jacob's thought, 
it would not be like them at all with a limp to leave a comrade in the lurch he and the sea-flower had been out before on a winter's night and they knew one another they could venture what others would never dare to do he roared an order that was repeated forward along the boat they got the tack down and she heeled over in the wind the headman put her bow so as half to meet the waves and started off as if about to tack it was madness in such weather but then it was jacob who did it he was not quite sure what he really intended himself he only meant to take a turn and keep on a level with the other boat for he would not sail away from a comrade the boat was filled by the waves breaking over the waterboard but the men kept on bailing then they went about again and jacob knew that in the meantime the capsized boat must have drifted a good deal to leeward he set his course at haphazard and then in the streak of yellow light caught sight of a dark line upon the crest of a wave there they were the sea-flower bore down toward them and jacob could hear their cries they must have seen him and taken heart again and as he once more steered close by them he shouted hold tight boys and wait a little such words of encouragement in the storm from one who was still sailing his own boat made them feel half saved and gave them strength to hold on jacob sailed away again into the blinding spray and darkness but he had told them to sit and hold tight once more the sea-flower was forced up into the wind to gather impetus for a fresh effort to reach the other boat she threatened to fill again and the men bailed their hardest and jacob steered farther and farther to windward no one but he would have done such a thing in a storm like this and once more he went about and began to make straight for the capsized boat which had again been driven farther to leeward keep a lookout for them he shouted and the men along the boat repeated keep a lookout for them the sea-flower shipped more seas over her waterboard and her rigging and sail moaned under the pressure of the wind but was not that the boat on the top of a wave down there no it was gone again a man standing by the tack shouted there and pointed with his hand there shouted the others pointing in the same direction jacob stamped upon the thwart and said damn it all for he thought it was time to put an end to all this he knew not what he meant to do and he bore straight down upon the black line that stood out upon a wave far away to leeward two men on each side and haul them in he shouted two men on each side and haul them in the men repeated as they placed themselves in readiness it was a mad order but at sea orders have to be obeyed the fifth man remained by the tack to give the headman the direction at this moment jacob had no thought for the risk he was taking he knew perfectly well that there were ninety-nine chances out of a hundred that he would lose his steerage and then they would all be lost but he had no time to consider this the upturned boat rose into view again and he was dashing down toward it on a gigantic billow stand by he shouted stand by the men repeated and the next moment the sea-flower rode in the foam and the spray right over the keel of the seal 
Get hold of them! The sea-flower trembled as she scraped over the keel of the other boat, but the men on both sides each hauled in his man. It was like getting big fish into the boat. It was done in half a second, and they were once more scudding through waves and blinding spray in the darkness. The first thing Jacob was aware of was that his helm was not gone. The sea-flower was as obedient as ever. The next thing he saw was that four men had been saved from the shipwrecked boat, and he heard them cry, "'Oh, God! Oh, God!' and then again, "'Oh, God!' But this was not the time to go forward and pity them and say, "'Poor fellows!' The steering, the wind, and the waves gave him enough to do. He only shouted to his men, "'Are they all alive?' And as usual, at sea, the men repeated the headman's words, "'Are they all alive?' "'Yes,' said a voice from the middle of the boat. "'Yes,' they all repeated." They ran before the wind again, flying on through the darkness, over mountains and into valleys, in a whirling tumult of white, shrieking spectres, sailing, sailing, they knew not whither. Toward morning they saw right before them a beacon light. It was on the mainland, but how far north or how far south, Jacob could not tell. They were flying in toward a rocky coast that they did not know. At any moment they might run upon a rock that stood up out of the water or lay hidden below the surface of the sea, but nevertheless they had to go on sailing. The wind shifted round to the north, and they sailed down along the coast. They could hear the roar of breakers upon the shore-side, and every now and then a gleam of stormy light showed the mountains covered with snow and the white surf of waves breaking over rocks. Now, however, the wind had so far fallen that Jacob took it into his head to sail in the direction he himself wished. He had no thought of making for land. The tack was put forward, and he set out at haphazard through the darkness across the west fjord again. This time it would be a long way to Lofoten. The four shipwrecked men lay in a half-unconscious state in the middle of the boat. But surely there should have been five? Jacob would have to ask about that when the time came. It was perhaps a little cold for them lying there with the water dashing over them, but they would be able to get warm some other time. End of chapter 30